So I, um, so I started making some outlines and then I, I was looking at what we still had left over. And I was like, Oh, you know, you, where we stopped a while back was this episode. So I don't know. I was like, you know, this is, a, this is going to be a good episode. Let's get that. Let's get this one going. And I think it's going to open the door to some other conversations regarding the grid and such that we probably shouldn't get too deep in the weeds with in this. Why? They're essential. That's critical. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I don't want to turn it into a grid stability podcast. It's for all this the same. Episode. Wait a minute. It's How a can we not talk about that? It's like, connected. We're going to talk about it, but I don't want it to be purely that. So, well, good luck. Well, moderate, moderate your. I will. Best. I will. I know. Good <laughs> luck. Don't worry. I I told you know we could like ring the bell. In one side of the ring, Jim, Mark, on the other side, Jake. I don't know where Nick Clayton. lands on it. Yeah, Clayton. Yeah, I could be a changed man. I might surprise you today. Yeah. So we we, we already know where this is, uh, where the line is drawn here. So um, I do agree that it could go off into like other. Yeah, there's just like so much like depth to each topic we'll probably hit. Yes. Well, it's, it, it, there's so it, many it would be, connecting pieces. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. We, it would we be have interesting to... to like dig deeper, like find like a couple major points of of concern or whatever, or or, or obviously yeah. points of contention are more interesting than points of agreement. And like, so do it like a deeper dive in that topic. Yes, or maybe that's, another podcast. I mean, that's whatever. exactly what I'm getting at. I think we have some like deep dive episodes that we can pull off of this, so we don't need to make this one the deep dive episode and in, in whatever whatever primary argument or whatever you want to call it is so okay <laughs> no, the topic's not going away on. so we'll have <laughs> plenty of opportunities to talk about plenty of opportunities so and, and just just you know if if i keep this in the podcast for the listeners you know i'm a i'm open to to arguments and discussion i'm not set in one way i don't think one one solution is the answer for everything so uh, this will be a fun episode because um you know, some days I'm I'm very, very much agreeing with electric vehicles, and other days I'm like, ah, maybe there's other options. So we'll see what you guys can uh, can argue one way or another. Yeah, you could always walk. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. But so I'll give you a, a, a quick anecdote. On Tuesday, five a.m., I left for uh, Macon, Georgia. So got to Macon. At whatever it was, seven o'clock at night, drove straight through. Um, meetings in Macon uh, Wednesday, drove to uh, Hempstead, South Carolina, seven hours. And then yesterday, uh, 11 hours back to Pennsylvania, total of 2,043 miles. All right. In June, a uh, news uh, entity try to do a trip from New Orleans, New Orleans to Chicago in four days with an electric vehicle or rented electric vehicle. It took them every bit of four days. And uh, the, he the headline caption is we spend more time uh, charging and, fi and finding chargers than we did sleeping. Yeah, do you know what model car that was? Uh, I do, hang on. Um, and where were they traveling again? 
New Orleans to Chicago. Huh. It was a uh, I want to say it was a, a Kia. Yeah. Those electrify American yeah, chargers a Kia, are a, a Kia yeah. Forte. Yep, that's a good point. I mean, so I, I don't know. I spend a lot of time probably like discussing electric vehicles and like different whatever internet communities and stuff. And there's this there's this concept of like the Tesla fanboy that um you know, these people that are like uh they can't listen to anything else except Tesla. And I think I might come off <laughs> a little bit that way here because there there's a lot of places where Tesla is just like years ahead of other manufacturers and I think it really makes a difference in the experience. And I think you just brought up one of them. Um so yeah, if that was like a Kia, which the car was probably fine. Some manufacturers have trouble managing like the thermals in the battery so that they can accept high rates of charge. But I think a bigger problem right now is the charging network with non-Tesla manufacturers. Um, so Electrify America is one and that was actually Volkswagen was forced to build yeah. out that network as a they, penalty for the, the diesel they noted, the, they noted the Electrify America chargers work great. They found two on the trip. Yeah, that's hmm. the issue. Yeah, this is good stuff. We got to get the podcast started. Why I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> okay. Hey guys, welcome to the Better Building Systems Podcast. I'm your host Clayton Ferry. Here with me today is Nick Taliska, Jimmy Pasquale, Mark Sankey, and back again, Jake Long. In today's discussion, we will be focusing on electric vehicles, and I think. What we want to cover in this episode, there's a lot of different facets to the electric vehicle pros and cons, which we can get into more deep dives, um, you know, in other episodes. But just the the concept of the electric vehicle and the positives and negatives to it, and and can it can it work in today's society and you know the future? Maybe from a environmental standpoint and just a functionality standpoint. So. For our listeners, I assume everybody is familiar with, you know, electric vehicles at some capacity. And probably the first thought that comes to mind is Tesla. But we know a lot of the the big name manufacturers are producing electric vehicles, you know, at this time. And um, to preface, you know, this podcast, why are the building hot rodders discussing this topic? Well, you know, I think electric vehicles, they they push a lot of different aspects of our industry you know energy distribution electric generation load capacities and you know even just your today's facilities infrastructure a parking lot full of electric vehicles changes how you would you know build the infrastructure of a facility to support that so we are very much involved in what is going on and what is to come in the future well, I think I think it's unavoidable as far as the question of like why we're talking about it. Yeah, right. All these yeah. things hit. I mean, it's like I mean, it's legally mandated in like <laughs> in Europe. So yeah, it's like it's it's going to happen. I well, guess, and I, I guess technically, whether you agree with the merits of that legislation, yep. yeah, it's like here it comes. And, and New York, right? And California, and I don't know what other states have it 
where they got the what 2035 is the uh big cutoff for things right well i think it hits all it seems to be yeah charging a car in europe sounds like a great idea right now (laughs) so okay car in california better yet (laughs) okay so before we dig into that then um you know i i'm i'm trying to i kind of ride a line of like pro electric vehicle but is it because it's going to save the world or because i think they're they're very functional for the right person we'll we'll preface it with that right so um you know when you compare an electric vehicle to a gas car one of the first questions or or discussions is like mpg right if you converted a electric car to mpg how does it compare to an electric vehicle or compared to an internal combustion engine? And I don't know. I think the the standard Google answer would be like an electric vehicle can get about a hundred miles to the gallon, which is pretty good, right? I know there's a lot of stuff going around in the in the background before that happens that may or may not benefit the environment. But um, so I don't know. Like to me, this conversation is the feasibility of it and the functionality of them. And then also, you know, the infrastructure required and the environmental impacts kind of two parts. Yeah, I guess Mark's was, we were kind of before we started recording, Mark had an anecdote about his, his traveling, um, uh, something like 2000 miles over a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. He would have, uh, he would have taken longer to do that with if he had been driving driving an electric car, um, especially since there's kind of a lack of charging at your destinations at this point. Like, I really wish at my workplace there was charging. Not that not that it's needed for me, but if if Mark is driving from Pennsylvania to New York and his destination is my facility, it would benefit him to have that charging now. Of the 50 people in my building in a day, 49 of them are driving 20 miles, 25 miles. And so, yeah, what is the return on that investment? Does it even attract employees to say we have charging? I mean, if you live in an apartment and you don't have the ability to put a charger on the outside of your house or in your garage, yeah, that could be a selling point for some employees as people start going more electric vehicles, like you can charge at work, um, either we'll pay for it or I don't know, maybe they charge you for it. It all gets baked into the compensation package. I mean, that's, sure. Yeah. It's like a benefit. Yeah. It's a benefit. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just, yeah. I mean, so there's use cases where it's less than ideal. Um, but yeah, it just as a whole, I think that the most commutes are are not like that. And so if we're having like a broader discussion, I don't know how much that factors into it. Yeah, well, but I, Mark, Mark might be on internal combustion for longer than 80 or even 90% of the population. I don't think the, the percentage is that high, Jacob. I mean, so where I live in PA, we're, uh, you know, 40 miles from Pittsburgh. And probably a third of the people in our community commute to Pittsburgh to work. So 40 miles one way, 
there's minimal, uh, I wouldn't say minimal, but there's a, a low level of charging infrastructure available in Pittsburgh. But again, to your point, it might work for some people, but uh, in general, it's a, because of where they live and, uh, you know, again, in apartments or whatever, there's just not charging infrastructure available. I think, you know, the whole range issue for me is, is the minimizing factor, you know, is less value. If I can't get 350 miles out of a charge, I can't, I can't even start to consider the vehicle just based on our business model, you know, the uh, five hour drive and then meet with a customer, do your thing. Hopefully you can charge while you're there and then be on your way. That would make sense. But if I can't go at least, you know, 350 miles, I, I can't even start to think about it. Okay. You're probably an outlier on that range though. Right, Mark? I don't know. I would consider yeah, for the most part. I don't know what, if you want to put a percentage on it, but I, I saw something. Well, that, I think it was a AAA survey or something. Maybe a couple of years ago, it was something like eighty percent of EV owners said that their concerns over range went away after they purchased a vehicle. Because I mean, that's definitely that's like you know one of the top concerns I think of people. Will I be stranded someplace? Yeah, it, I don't know. A, the more I read, I'm wondering how accurate is that. I think it's that people are hanging on to. It's an interesting concern. Um, you know, I know people in, in my life that commute, literally, you, you're going to work six, seven, eight miles away. And they're like, I don't know if I can have an electric vehicle because of the range. And, and it's just, I'm like, you, oh. could, you could literally go two weeks without charging your vehicle, you know, but <laughs> so they buy a plug-in hybrid, which just cracks me up because um, I don't know. I think that's the... Um, that's like an enabler to the electric vehicle. It's just a baby step before the, cause they find out, <laughs> Holy crap, my plug-in yeah. hybrid that gets 30 miles range or a hundred or 50 does all electric for all week. Well, I, I don't need a gas vehicle. And then they spent whatever on a plug-in hybrid. And I don't know, that's like the uh, baby step towards it, but yeah, it's that whole range. Accurate. Uh, what's the, what do they call that range? Uh, anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. Yep. Is uh, in- interesting. Yeah, the typical ownership experience at this point, I think a lot of owners, it's self-selecting for homeowners who can install chargers. Uh, that's that's the probably the best situation you can have because when I get home, I've used about 10%, uh, let's say up to 20% of my battery for my daily errands and commute. I plug it in and I wake up and it's done. I mean, the, I actually spend less time doing the act of fueling my car than a gasoline car because you have to go to the gas station let's say weekly or bi-weekly and it's it takes three minutes that's more time than i spend now on road trips i catch up a little bit because i'm stopping for 25 to 30 minutes um so but you know how many so yeah it really comes down to what is your percentage of road trips and for me I take maybe five road trips a year. I think the longest one I took in my EV was to Virginia. I think we stopped three times to get down there. And what, like 30 minutes each stop, Jake? About 30 okay. minutes. And I okay. I think, I assume for one or two of those, you're probably eating or using the restroom. And it, it's, it starts to become, 
like, you know, I, I'm excited about electric vehicles. So I'm trying to keep my bias out, but I, I think it starts to become a non-issue because yeah. If, After if you 300 eat, miles, you're ready to use the restroom and get a snack anyways. <laughs> yeah. Again, if you're Mark, if you're a traveling salesman and you're maximizing time and you're just going through the McDonald's drive through and you're literally just trying to maximize time on the road. Yeah. You're going to be probably feeling impatient waiting for your car. But with my wife, it's a little bit more relaxed. It's usually a leisure based trip. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I would encourage you to read this wall street journal article about the two young ladies that did the trip from uh, new Orleans to Chicago, because they experienced everything you've described from range anxiety so first of all, I mean, this was their first venture in an electric car. So that that probably wouldn't be the way I would do it is to jump in it and think, okay, I can manage this with uh, Google and YouTube and figure it out as I go. But everything from safety of charging locations to not having their expectations met as far as rapidity of charging, um, range of the vehicle, all that. So the whole trip was really stressful and they you know, uh, documented pretty well. But again, um, I'm not sure I would pick my first electric vehicle road trip to be a, you know, a 2000 mile trip. Um, yeah. There's definitely a psychological, when you yeah. can see a percentage on the screen, yeah, exactly. and they, it, it becomes like you start micromanaging kind of, yeah, the psychology of it. And that takes a little time to be used to. Yeah. You could tell they were very fixated on it. Yeah, and there's there is also I will agree there is a, a a pretty and I see this in the communities that I monitor that discuss electric vehicles. There is a disparity in the charging networks by brand. Electrify America right now is just notoriously. I mean, you go to like a station where there's four stalls and two, three are down. Uh, it it's it's a big problem, and I think part of that is that the whole project of Electrify America was, was forced onto Volkswagen. I actually think they sold most of their stake in it recently, but it was a, it was a to build that network was a penalty, uh, a result well, of the emissions scandal. Yeah. I don't know if it was forced on them, but you do the crime, you do the time. They had to do something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but so, so there's brand and there's region in Europe. I think the charging networks are a lot more robust. You have a lot more brands and competition in that space. Um, right now, we know from Tesla, their charger uptime is 99.6%. So I've never went to a Tesla supercharger that was not working. And I think that explains why Tesla has uh, it's between 70 and 80% market share of pure electric vehicles in the US. And, and just while I'm on that market share point, uh, I quickly looked up Cox Automotive just to give some perspective of like the scale of electric vehicles. Uh, last quarter in the U.S., 12.6% of the market was EV or plug-in hybrid. And there's fuel cell in there, but that was 800 cars. So I'm not really counting that. But so we're getting into like 5%, 10% market share in the U.S. Uh, I think in China, it's about 20%. Cars are electrified, so that counts hybrids. So I just thought I'd add that. Yeah. Oh, I uh, think there's no fighting it. I mean, you know, like I was trying to say earlier, I think it's got the EV movement, electrification's got everything going for it. Uh, money is involved, so there's a financial incentive, as as slight as that may be in different use cases. But 
Uh, then there's the social aspect, right? Huge. I mean, you can't discount the social dimension of being in a part of this movement, right? It, you know, people have self-interest. They want to feel good. And this is part of it. There's the economic side, but then there's also the political push. I mean, I don't think it's it's avoidable. I mean, this is well, where I, I have to I have to ask the question. Okay, what is the primary driver for? I mean, pri primary uh, impetus to change to electric vehicles. What is it? From whose perspective? Yeah, that's a good question. I, yeah. I mean, both of those are good questions. <laughs> from anybody, anybody's perspective, governmental so, perspective, Jake's perspective. I'll give you my perspective. Okay. Um, it's shame on me it's not not necessarily environmental it's more of a convenience and um just uh it, it's fun i don't know they seem they're fun it's simple cool. low maintenance zero well, maintenance the first one you could said say. you said convenience yeah that what you yeah. said well that was your first one so what do you mean by that well i don't have to go get an oil change uh i don't have to um yeah okay. <sighs> you know just the, the regular maintenance associated with an internal combustion engine vehicle transmission um you know there's still there's still components chassis components that can fail on an electric vehicle and there's still brakes technically but you know you're not doing brake pads every 20 well, 30,000 miles you're not getting your oil change every 5,000 miles you're not dealing with uh oh my u-joint went bad my whatever and i get it you don't really have to deal with that with a, if you go buy a new vehicle off the lot either but just, just the factor of like not having to go get my oil changed. Like, I tell you, I like to expect because that's interesting, Clinton. Because that's kind of you know what uh, appeals to me. I don't know if it's the number one, but you yeah. know, when I read that an internal combustion engine has two hundred and seventy moving parts compared to two. Yeah, and, and Jake, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. An electric motor, and I've been looking into uh, fleet EVs, right? Yeah. As part of like you know an ESCO package for a performance right. contract. Yep. And they're very interesting when you get into like the economics of, I mean, the whole, you know, obviously connecting to the grid and everything, but like they say, brake pad wear is just, I mean, the amount of savings is insane. Yeah. So yeah. it's not about energy right there. So I think that's actually your first thing was about yeah eh, lack of hassle, maybe risk avoidance, right? Yep. yep. So, so Hertz, Hertz recently, Hertz recently purchased, or they, they ordered a hundred and a hundred thousand electric vehicles. And in their last uh, earnings call, they were discussing uh, the savings. They said uh, the tire expense was higher, and that's primarily due to the weight of the car. Weight, mm -hmm. yeah. But um, all other maintenance um, was lower. And this is anecdotal. I have 37,700 miles on my car. The only thing I've done is filled the windshield washer fluid and had my tires changed. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. So that's an economic benefit, but not on the energy side, really. Yeah. I don't Which know. Like, I have a, a battery powered. Here's a, two two good examples. And it's like just a, a tiny iota of whatever. I have a battery powered weed whacker and a battery powered leaf blower. DeWalt, love them. I never have to, every year, you know, the weed whacker, you got to clean the carb or, you know, you're, you're messing with it to try to get it to start. And the leaf blower, again, every year. When the leaves fall, that damn thing does not want to start. And I, I get it. It's not a brand new leaf blower 
which definitely makes a difference, but just the convenience of plugging a battery in and not being like, Oh, I got to mix some more gas. or I got to go get gas or this and that. Or replacing the carburetor. Every yeah. yeah, yeah. You're just buying a new weed whacker for $120 because yeah. <laughs> your lines are all rotted from the yeah. gas. Yeah. 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 So, well, okay. But the, the other side of it is I, I agree with you, Clayton. So Vivian uh, decided she wanted an electric a leaf blower because you yes. have a gas one same thing well i want the electric leaf blower yeah you know what it gets used for uh blown off, off your my, driveway oh dry off my motorcycle after i wash it yeah that's it or the lawnmower blow the uh leaf the grass clippings off the lawnmower what it, else it, it, for? it lasts like 12 minutes that's it um well you know it all comes down to battery size like for my leaf blower i had to buy you know the six amp hour big battery and i get like but yeah, yeah 200 I, bucks right yeah 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 yep, exactly but you get one of those and then you can use it on your <laughs> okay. weed whacker too and that 200 bucks that's more than a gas powered leaf blower cost by itself but a but, couple but, of them probably probably, so mark you're, you're, know, concerned, but, you're, you're focusing on, on on that the reliability the utilization of this asset well not the reliability the no, no, yeah, but how much you can utilize yeah like, right if i can't drive if i can't yard work it's a big concern to you it's i a, agree it's a huge concern and, and you know i was doing my research again the gasoline consumption in the u.s on a daily basis is 369 million gallons per day by passenger autos that doubles when you add in trucks commercial vehicles mm -hmm. so what's the you know yeah we can change slowly or however quickly we want and say okay we have 12 percent electric vehicles and we can reduce that 369 million by 12 percent but the net impact is really only about six percent because we have no mechanism planned or coming to commercialize um not just commercial uh, road transport vehicles, but agricultural vehicles, you know, all those kinds of things. I, this is a tough putt and a huge what do you mean plan. Well, is there a plan to have electric agricultural vehicles? Well, I think there might be some stuff in these, in some of the new legislation. So I'm just trying to kind of keep up with what actually is in this. That's IRA, not a plan. That's a wish. Oh, well, well, I mean, incentives, I guess, uh, yeah. coercion, other things that, you know, governments do to, to, to affect behavior. I think, I mean, that's, that is a plan. I don't know how else you have a plan with, you know, putting in the country. Well, I want electric vehicles. They, they should, they should be able to grow without the need for government incentives or force, right? Like, and that's, that's the reason I bought electric or battery powered you know, power tools at, at my house is like, I, this is convenient. I want to buy it. It's worth the extra. I'd pay the premium for a battery powered, whatever, to have the convenience of not dealing with, you know, what you have to deal with, with internal combustion. That is stuff. the definition of free markets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want the free market to, to, to let that grow. And I, I think, I, I don't know for a big okay. percentage of people, I think it will. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, guys. I mean, you know, you know where I stand in these things. We are far just, beyond a free market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's just oh, that. I'm we just, just saying. We were, Nick, we had five gallons of chum out in the water before you even bit. I don't know what was going on there. So um, 
So we're kind of going down a rabbit hole though. And I want to, I want to reel it back a little bit and steer this conversation in a different direction now, you know, cause all of our listeners, they all know probably that, you know, a lot of percentage of people could benefit from them, but there's always those 10%, 15, 20 that, you know, have a big yard or a, for battery powered stuff or drive really far and it doesn't work, which, you know, we'll take time to figure that out. But from a electric like an energy standpoint, I want to kind of steer that cover the conversation this way. Mm-mm. And um, <laughs> I, this is going to be good. So I know a big part of the conversation is renewables generating electricity for the grid to power electric vehicles. Like that is the utopic society that current administrations want. Right. Soon we can all agree on that. Sure. Um, to me, don't think that's possible, but let's just say all of our electricity or majority of electricity is produced by natural gas, which I think it is, right? I mean, I could go on 43.9%. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Um, so we'll, we'll use that. 5% coal. Yeah. Solar, 5%. Wind, nuclear, and hydro, 27%. So we'll use natural gas as our discussion for electric getting to the grid. And then, you know, obviously, internal combustion engines use gasoline. So what what I don't know a whole lot about, and I tried doing some research, but hopefully you experts can help me out, is like efficiency of burning natural gas to make electricity to get to the end user versus you know oil refinement to make gas and then distribute that gas to get to the end user. And the end user will be the, the vehicle, right? What what's the difference? What are we looking at for this? A lot. So, <laughs> uh, no, it, it's a big deal. So, a combined cycle gas plant you can get up to about fifty percent efficient. So, when you have to uh, distill oil, you're going to reduce it to. Uh, first of all, you have to take it down to the you know through a distillation column. Uh, into all the distillates, well, that's about a 50% efficient function, right? Mm -hmm. But a gasoline engine by itself is only 30% efficient. So now we're down to about 15%, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So agreed, the uh, natural gas to electric process is about three times as efficient as distilling to get gasoline out of... uh, petroleum oil. yeah but when you're when you aggregate it all together the distillation column is a, is a single process from which you get you know multiple distillates so we get kerosene diesel fuel you know uh tar number six fuel oil all that stuff out of a single process so when you add all that up you know your whole distillation process becomes more like 65 to 70 percent efficient but if you were just saying my only product is gasoline, it would be very low. Which I guess for arguments like you can't because you have to factor right. in everything else. Right. But you know, that's where my mind goes. Like if even if you just know the renewables conversation is off the table, natural gas electricity production is to me, we'll call it right, more efficient than um generating 
gasoline and then distributing that across the country. Sure, but the a... mo okay, so let's not even do that though. <laughs> Why don't you just have natural gas powered vehicles? It just just skip the, well because because the natural gas powered vehicles they're going to be thirty percent efficient versus uh what a, a EV efficiency from fueleconomy.gov says uh, electric vehicles seventy seven percent which I think okay is so now now you have stepped into the trap because we don't have the infrastructure either generation or distribution to provide the distribution of all that electricity for charging. Ooh. Good point. Are we going to steer it to this part now? <laughs> I don't know. So, hey, so I okay, I'll argue I, I that. I don't care. I'm just saying it's not, I didn't mean to say it was a trap. I'm just saying you've gone into a, a near dead end because, uh, you know, this is not, unfortunately, a, a movie set where we can build a field of dreams. We will build it and they will come. It just doesn't work like that. And Mark, can you be... Is it more of the generation or the distribution side that you see? It's it's a both. combination of both, Jake. Um, right now, uh, we have in the U.S. the net generating capacity of 4,116 billion kilowatt hours gross generated 1.2 million megawatt hours of capacity. So you can, you can run 1.2 million megawatt hours of generators, you know, that's if the sun's shining, the wind's blowing, there's ample natural gas, everything's up and running. That's our gross national production of electricity. So can that change? Yes, of course it can change. And right now, solar is 5%, 90% of new capacity being built in the U.S. right now is solar. Almost all generation that's being retired. So, okay, every year stuff wears out existing equipment's retired uh, almost everything that's being retired is uh coal and nuclear which i'm not necessarily a fan of retiring nuclear or a fan of retiring coal versus converting coal to natural gas but it is that that's the plan is it's being retired so generation can change it's i'm not even talking about the um the necessary, the, the the type, just the capacity to generate. Yeah, sure, I, sure, I, absolutely. Yeah. But so is that is that is it? The, so I I think the generation will increase, and so the question is just will it increase fast enough? I guess no, no, <laughs> right. It it can't change as fast as um, as car manufacturers can produce electric cars. Who said no there, Jim? Jim. That was the first thing you said the whole podcast. I was wondering. I thought we had another guy. <laughs> it's just one of these. This is one of these topics where I just have more questions than answers, I guess. Oh, uh, I was hoping you're going to be able to jump in and give us a whole man. lot of uh, input oh, on this I'll, part. I'll give you some of what I know that leads me to my questions. Okay. You know, the, 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 the two big things we're talking about now are generation and transmission. Mm-hmm. And all of the talk and incentives I see right now are about the electrification of everything, of uh, you know, passenger transportation, of heating. Um, all these things are going to put a tremendous strain on the grid, not just in terms of you know consumption, but in, in demand, instantaneous demand. Yep. And 
you know, maybe I'm not seeing it. Maybe it's out there and I'm just missing it, but I just don't see anywhere near the amount of investment in the infrastructure it's going to take to accommodate that demand. At the same time, they're pushing renewable energy in the form of mainly wind and solar, which are not uh, a stable source of energy. You know, it's highly dependent on the weather. And without some sort of utility scale energy storage, it's just not going to have the same, uh, you know, you can't depend on it as you can with fossil fuel or nuclear generation. Um, it's almost like, I don't know, it's like they're pushing in opposite directions on both sides. You're, you're increasing the demand while really limiting yourself on uh the generation and transmission side. And I know we said we want to focus on natural gas, but everything I'm seeing is they want to go full. The whole point of this is to go electric uh, based off of renewables. Which I disagree with, honestly. Just switching natural gas is efficient and works, and we have a lot of it, and we can make pretty clean electricity with it, you know? Yeah, no, I I agree. I'm just saying what what yeah. I'm seeing is the forces and the the incentives and where uh, you know politically people are trying to push us in that direction is to get us completely off of fossil fuels. And my biggest thing is I think you know even if that is you believe in that to me it's the pace at which they're trying to mandate it. The rest of the infrastructure is just not there to support it. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that big time already in a lot of projects I'm involved with. Yeah. I think this has to be its own podcast. Cause I think it'll force me to look at more of these details. Cause it's such a huge topic that I really wish I had been able to do more. Well, uh, I, research I, I think you can't separate the two. I mean, this is how it's the whole point of one of the biggest reasons why we're pushing um, electrification of everything. So you really can't separate the two. You could talk oh. about how great electric cars are, but if you don't talk about how you charge them um, and the yeah. effects it has on everything around it, it's it's definitely you know something we we do have to talk about. Jim just set yeah, the stage so- for current events in California. Well, I just want to touch on the legislation a little bit. Um, it did. It does include a lot of, I think, renewable incentives and battery storage incentives, which I think were they were smart to like at least couple those because with renewables, you will need a large energy storage base. Who's battery storage Um, at a utility scale or at a like a local? uh, Both. Yeah, uh, both. So residential, residential, residential and utility scale. So, I mean, utility scale. Right now, they're using it for a lot of grid stabilization, like like replacing peaker plants. A lot of a lot of the coal plants are being displaced in part because of battery storage, and I think that's going to be dependent on specific situations. But I know that's a factor, and then uh, frequency stabilization, and they're making a little revenue off like energy price arbitrage. So when energy is cheap, whoever owns the battery will soak it up, and then when the prices go up, they'll sell it back to the grid and you can do the same thing with your uh, residential system so again tesla comes up a lot because they're just doing so much in this space but um so there's there's um in california these products have taken off faster than other locations so 
Ah, we're getting off EVs, so maybe cut this. But there's like two thousand homes, say, with each with some kilowatt hours each, and they're actually using software to make all those batteries work in unison to actually collectively act as like a megawatt scale battery and to help stabilize the grid. So, and I think, yeah, I think, yeah, we're getting into renewables. I don't want to go too far off EV, but there's this, there's these advantages of like these distributed approaches as well. But, but yeah, battery storage is, is a part of the legislation. Um, and yeah, the grid's a big, a big question. Obviously, California is having issues. So recently they asked EV owners to not charge between the hours of 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. during uh, certain days. Is that ideal? No. But again, I don't think it really affects many people. Most people are charging overnight. Your charge in your car, again, the average commute is 30 minutes. So let's say 30 miles. I could go a week without charging my car. If there's a couple, there's a few hours on a few days that I can't charge. Now, if this picks up pace and increases in frequency at which California has to place these restrictions, I'll become concerned. Uh, right now, I don't think it's really affecting people. I'm sure it's affected someone. They got trapped or, but I don't think they banned it either. I think, I think you could charge. You were just asked not to. Yeah, either that or your power's off. Yeah, when, when you're doing rolling blackouts. The black, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacob, when they do that, when they ask you not to charge, are they just limiting your total consumption then through your smart meter, or how do they, or are they just ask? No, I think it was voluntary. Oh, okay. I think it was voluntary. Yeah. Um, now rolling blackouts are obviously involuntary. But, yeah, and that affects everything. I just yeah. didn't know if people were capped residentially or if that was a, a plan. I, you know, there was something in the news about all those, you know, 22,000 smart thermostats were locked out or something. Colorado. Who didn't hear that? Yeah. So, like, yeah, they might have shut off on um, DC fast chargers. So, like, commercially owned, like, you know, if Tesla has a bank of superchargers, they may have, you know, it's easier for them to control. Um, it's easier for the government to control companies like that versus, yeah, how do they stop you from charging your car? If your power's on, you can pretty much, now the thermostat thing I haven't heard of, but yeah, yeah. They don't know if your AC is running or if your car is charging, if your toaster's on. Yeah. So California's yeah. having a lot of issues right now, right? And they just said they want to mandate 100% new vehicle electric I want to, sometime around 2035, it's, Sounds I don't right. know, 10 to 15 years from now, right? And within the last couple of years, actually right now, they're renewable, like instantaneous, like right, as of right now, has kind of gone backwards. They, they're shutting down nuclear. Their hydros, uh, I believe, in an all-time low because of the drought. Um, the drought and the record low water levels. And... You know, I, don't, I just don't see solar and wind in these incentives, like matching the demand that's about to happen from all these other incentives to electrify everything. And that's kind of where it's just more questions. I haven't done, you know, the nuanced math behind it. I just kind of look at it. I'm like, how is this going to work? Yeah, um, I also don't see it. Um, do we want to try to steer this? Oh, I know we're, we keep getting into the renewable and the grid. Any other any other discussion points on, you know, specific electric vehicles, which I know I, it's tough, like it's utopic to think that right now, if everything went to electric vehicles, it would work because it wouldn't, but 
so we have to talk about the grid but any anything specific on electric vehicles we want to keep digging into a lot of i mean anybody as far as i mean the, the reasons for adoption i don't know if you want to revisit that i thought that's kind of an interesting discussion i don't think any of us mentioned co2 necessarily and i don't know how big a deal that is to people to be honest with you well yeah i think that's something we should cover nick um you know another i try to think of like the electric vehicle push um as clearly as i can and understand that you know an electric vehicle just doesn't magically appear right there's a lot of carbon emissions associated with with uh, mining the precious metals and manufacturing the vehicle and all that right so when it comes to anything renewables i try to look at the carbon life cycle of the whatever we're talking about in its entirety so electric vehicles you know falls in that category for me or greenhouse gas emissions carbon carbon emissions whatever you want to call it and from everything that i'm able to find on the internet for whatever that's worth they it's for the if you consider a life cycle of a vehicle it's less than what an internal combustion engine would be from manufacture to operation to even disposal is included in some of these studies any thoughts from you guys you sound kind of surprised i i think that is based on typical uh life cycle ownership of a, a gas-powered vehicle you know i mean if you keep a gas-powered vehicle and you maintain it for a couple hundred thousand miles that footprint goes down significantly actually i would disagree i i think the longer you own a gas car the more emissions like the longer each car is owned the further ahead and uh, you electric think vehicle the further ahead of ev is yeah because yeah maybe most of the most of the emissions from an ev come from the production so then yeah so it's starting right, at a disadvantage Jacob. And it's around, I think, 20,000 miles on a typical U.S. It is. I have uh, 20,000 right miles in front of me. which you, yeah. you cross the point where actually oh. now you're you're emitting less. Yeah. And, and the great, so two things on that. As the grid becomes more clean, EVs only get better, whereas internal combustion engine cannot stop <laughs> burning gasoline. So there's... Unless, I mean, yeah, you, you can't make many incremental improvements. I mean, efficiency, yeah, can improve. But so EVs, uh, I, I mean, your efficiency in your ICE car will, I would imagine, gradually degrade over time now. Uh, yeah, true, true. I'm kind of ignoring them. Um, and, and so in battery production, is interesting. So right now we're actually having to mine all these materials. And I, I think this is an interesting just thing to think about strategically as like a, a country and why the u.s might want to make sure that battery production and electric vehicles um, are being used in the u.s so so you mine all these materials um you have to take it from just rock in the ground it's usually in concentrations of like one to two percent so there's a lot of energy in just distilling the materials you want out of that rock gets put into an ev ev reaches the end of its life um, these batteries are actually very uh, highly recyclable. I mean, almost it's like 90% of materials can be recycled. And it's actually easier to get the materials out of a battery because instead of being in one and 2% concentrations, yeah. you have your lithium, your nickel, your iron, they're in like very pure concentrations. So it's like the perfect 
batteries are the perfect material to like mine from. And what I see is that you don't want all these batteries to end up in China uh, because then China will have access to all these materials through like, you know, just a circular economy of recycling. I, I, I guess I'm not maybe huh. expressing this well, but I think we'll want to make sure that these materials end up on U.S. shores um, so that we have we can recycle them because um, at a certain point we won't need to pull as much out of the ground right now it all has to come out of the ground in i don't know 20 years of large volume because i could see because this is what we do now from what i understand a lot right we put all this garbage on and then we, we use up and we ship it other places in the world that want to take it for recycling so i think that's an interesting uh eh, energy yeah. security national security point yeah, and, you know, that's where, where I was really intrigued was just, I was like, man, it, you know, you, you think there is a lot involved with battery manufacture for an electric vehicle. And, and it's impressive, assuming all this is right from the internet, that the break-even point is at 20,000 miles for a vehicle, you know? It, that I don't is know. impressive. So I was just looking at the graph now. You're right. I, I just, I, I don't know. I it's efficiency. It all, that comes down to the efficiency. I mean, at my car, which has a you know 300 mile EPA rated range, which you can argue real world range versus EPA because like they go like 55 miles an hour and stuff like that. But anyway, so say 250 miles, I usually go between charges on a road trip. It has like the equivalent of like two or three gallons of gas of energy. And like, that's how far it's able to go. Like the efficiency is just like, like an order of magnitude better. And that's, that's how it pulls ahead so quick on the emissions is that, mm. that you're just using so little energy to propel the car that even with a naturally gas powered EV, you're just using such so much less energy to do the same job. Jake, you're making so but, many good points. I, I think you might be penetrating Mark's hard outer crusty shit. No. Mark, no, no, Mark no, no, drove no. my Tesla. Mark drove my Tesla, and I want to know what was faster, Mark, I can't my tell you. car or your your souped up Nova or whatever. Uh, no, I, what I, I think it would be yeah. close. I, I think it would be close. Uh, Actually, I'm going to get. The, uh, I, I, I felt a little cringe, so I'm going to get the slicks tomorrow, and uh, uh, racing on Sunday. <laughs> so I, I, I felt a little pressure from the Tesla, but it, it's pretty fast. We're gonna to have to have an update to this podcast. Did Mark lose to a Tesla or not? On what? Uh, what is it? Sunday? Yeah, Sunday. <laughs> and yeah. people are generally impressed with EVs' torque and acceleration, which is quite it, a surprise. Yeah. But that's another topic. I'm sorry, Clayton. Reel us back in here, but okay. You know, I'll, I'll reel us back in. And actually, here's a good here's a good spinoff of that, though, Nick, because I I was doing a bunch of research on electric vehicles, obviously before this, and um. I, are you guys familiar with vehicle to grid that 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 concept? Sure. Basically says, you know, okay, if everybody gets an electric vehicle, not every house needs to put a battery pack to store energy in it. The car will do that. Um so like your vehicle will be the backup grid. generator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. which just that appalls me in a way, but that falls into what Nick is talking about and which to me, maybe a con of electric vehicles. Like, don't, I don't want to be forced to be part of that. 
Are we for, anti-social, Clayton? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's for the good of all. I know it's the like needs it's a of the society. Many. Yeah, well, and you know course. that that just that bothers me. Uh, you know, if you think about electric vehicles as a con, and like you said, Nick, some people may say, "Hell no, that is that is a great idea," but like to be forced to to partake into those types of activities, which yeah, sure it helps. I mean, that distributes makes the grid a lot more stable and in a way makes sense, but also. So I don't think they're mandating electric vehicles. I actually think they're banning carbon emitting vehicles. <laughs> so that's it's like, like every vehicle me, then. The, so, well, that's. So where, do you, where do you define me, carbon I, from? Like, where does that start? Yeah, well, but, I think continue. they're looking at tailpipe. tailpipe I yeah. Think. I mean, so yeah. hydrogen is an option, which I don't, I, I don't think that will that will gain attraction because it, it has the same efficiency problems and it's very energy intensive to generate the hydrogen, but you could, hydrogen is a potential issue. So I don't think they're like saying that EVs are mandated. It just happens to be, I mean, by saying no emissions by 2035, like tailpipe emissions, you're essentially saying EVs because that's the most that's the only viable right option. Yeah, or yeah. you can not go anywhere. So you have choice. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Off the record, on the record, I, I totally, everything you guys are saying is, is resonating with me. At the same time, I'm glad they say you can't dump mercury in rivers. So I try to balance those two. Like, oh, some people will do horrible things if you don't tell them not to. So I, there's like a place for like mandates and stuff. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how I come off, but I'm probably more on the fence than uh, hopefully I come off as. I don't know, but. Yeah. I'm more well, I on think the fence it, than I was a month ago. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of interesting merits, and and I think it's important for us all to challenge these things that we may like think, and, and maybe like Clayton, you had in your uh, your notes here some some myths from the EPA, which I thought, eh, I got something to say on each one of those myths. I think it's a little eh, disingenuous how they're presenting things, but with that said, I think it is good to challenge some of these these convictions we may have thought like. Oh, the CO2 is so much worse with making one of these cars. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Is it? Let's go look. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and sometimes you change your mind about things, which uh, personally, I like that, you know, if it's to mm -hmm. a more correct stance. That's what I was looking forward to this, this episode with you guys. You know, I knew there would be uh, some push and pull on each end. And uh, I figured I was going to learn quite a bit from some pros and cons. Of it, I'm certainly not opposed to it, but I think Jim also raises some in a very measured way, as only Jim can bring. I mean, yeah. he says, I'm not an expert, but I've researched this and I just have a lot of questions. And I think that's really where probably all of us should be at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think my, my main concerns are in the short term. But yeah, I think, you know, in the long term, this is, seems like the way forward. Um, my, my biggest concerns are the path we take getting there. Um, some of the issues we're seeing now in Europe and in California are, I think, bringing to light some of my concerns in the short run. Um, and that's all. That's all I was saying. I mean, I, I think in the long run, it makes sense, but it, it all, and I know I keep bringing up the grid and generation, but it all has to, it's all tied together and it all has to um, naturally uh, be developed and implemented together. You can't fast forward just one aspect of this and neglect the other um 
or not be a re- realistic. I mean, you could provide incentives, but if it's just not realistic and you're lagging somewhere, um, you know, it, it just has to be done uh, correctly as a whole. That's all I'm saying. 100% agreement. And I think we're going to go through a period of volatility and it's going to be, it's going to bring out the naysayers. Unfortunately, there's going to be lots of things come up as we transition. Um, I just take a longer term view, I guess. And I, I try to brush off the short term pains, but they will, they will happen. Martha, I think it's a wonderful time to be in energy in general. I mean, it's incredible, right? You get these these super forces all pushing behind, right? It's it's it ain't cool not to be green, kids. You know, so <laughs> you got to do that. You have all these financial incentives. Energy costs money. Everybody's always looking to save money, and, and the the minimum energy cost is zero, right? When we talk about recoverable right. energy, so there is yep. always that goal. You get down to zero. Like no other thing is like that. Like we can never get with our goal of copper mining is not to get to zero, but so I think it's very interesting. So like, oh, I mean, at the time to be an engineer, a technical person, it's great, but we also need, in my opinion, a certain type of technical people too. You know, I want people that are looking for the truth. I want people that are, you know, don't care about the trends and will speak plain language and will kind of put up their hand to BS when they hear it. Cause I think that's also a very critical time we're in right now too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So just a market update, just an FYI, everybody know what the trend has been in natural gas prices. It's probably like $9 or whatever, right? Uh, $7, 92, 97 cents. Today. Oh, so it went down a little yeah, bit. It went down, but yeah. uh, go back, you know, two years, 2020, uh same time it was uh 285 2021 mm. it was 375 today 795 so in the supply and demand equation all that does is say the demand for conservation slash energy experts is potentially quadrupled on the on the thermal side and that trickles down we just said that 40 plus percent of our national electricity is generated by gas. So electric prices will go up mm-hmm. if they haven't mm-hmm. already. And in some places they are. So, you know, this is being caused by a, you know, a variety of market factors, but mostly European demand. And it would be even higher if all of our gas look, liquefaction plants were in operation, but our largest one is not. Um, this isn't. This won't go away for a while. So you're right, Nick. That's um, that's the point I'm trying to really cement is that uh, energy prices will rise, and it, it's good for our industry for sure. Hey, can any of you explain something for me? I, I, I have a question that is just absolutely infuriating me. So I switched to a time of use billing plan where my rates are cheaper at night. Than during the day mm-hmm. because that's when I charge my car and that's a large portion of my energy use. How do you, any of you have any clue how it's possible that the off peak rate is higher than just the normal RGE rate that everyone pays? How is that possible? 
a long time of use and both my on peak and my off peak rates are higher than if I had just stuck with the regular RGE plan. That makes no sense to me. No, completely not. Any insight? Is it a residential yeah. plan? Yeah. So yeah, it's a residential. Well, I don't know if time of use, they break it down by residential and commercial, but so I'm comparing it to just the residential plan to the time of use and both of the time of use rates are higher than the regular residential. That, that, yeah, it does make sense. Absolutely. That will not work out for you at any hour of the day then. Yeah. <laughs> You're losing. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I know they put this fancy meter on and stuff so they could do it. I'm like, well, what the? Jake, if they have a, uh, there should be a rate uh, code like um, R1, R3 or whatever. Yeah. So SC1 is the standard and I'm on TOU1. One, I think. All right, but uh, yeah, I, I have it all. I'll dig. I'll send you an email. Yeah. Okay. I just I don't know if they're losing money somewhere else, so they're just like pick, trying to pick it up somewhere. Else. I don't know. Do you are like lot, contractually you know, obligated to it? No. So the only thing is, if if I lose money on this, so I have to have it for a year, and if I end up paying more money than I would have on the regular plan, I think they debit me or credit me the difference or something well that'd be a good thing but there's no obligation that the rates are lower than there but it's like off peak but the demand's lower how could it be higher than i just yeah, <laughs> uh. yeah what if you add equipment well the equipment was a flat cost i paid it for it was like 200 bucks or something to get it installed i forget yeah i don't know i think the utilities don't when you bring this up with the rates and everything so electricity markets are very different than the other energy markets Right, because don't I, I think all utilities don't they all go through some kind of public service commission? They go through the public utilities commission, which says they're allowed to request a rate change. It has to be reviewed, and then it uh, may or may not be approved. It may be revised, but that process is very slow compared to the volatility of natural gas or you know feedstock um, price changes. But the other side of that is most. Um, Utility companies have an arbitrage team and a uh, market price team for their natural gas. That said, nobody, I mean, if you look at natural gas futures from a year ago, the natural gas futures price for this month were around $2 and 70 cents in MCF. Wow. So nobody was predicting the escalation in natural gas prices that has occurred, you know, as I said, based on a variety of market prices. So the utility companies are scrambling to recover, you know, every nickel they can from every every uh, market source they can. My point being, when these rates get approved throughout the states, oh. they will hit like you know overnight. That's right. I think that will put a lot of impetus. That will change a lot of the economics for people when their PSCs get around. Because I know I'm locked in for like another year on yep. whatever we're doing here, and. But I'm anticipating what is going to happen then because I see the same things you do, Mark. It, it's got to catch up, but it's not like getting my propane delivered. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It it it's slower strictly because it has to go through the PUC uh, process and you know those kinds of things. So crazy. <sighs> I think it's time to wrap this episode up for our listeners. Okay. I hope they took something away from it. I, we covered a lot of facets of this electric vehicle discussion. 
And with that being said, there are going to be some follow-up episodes very specific to different sectors that were involved in this conversation, which which I think will be very good, very enjoyable. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, Like I said, I I hope our listeners enjoyed the episode. We covered a lot electric vehicle specific and not so much but it kind of all ties together i would say so with that thank you very much everybody for tuning in thank you nick jim mark and jake for your input and thoughts and information and i hope everybody has a great day